Nine independent lab tests on organic, single origin beans sourced from the highest altitudes. That's what it takes to make healthy coffee. But what exactly makes egg sale healthier than the stuff you pick up at the supermarket? And is it worth twice the price? By now, many of us know coffee is pretty good for us. It helps your gut health, it's good for your brain and heart, and apparently the more you drink, the longer you live. But for a lot of people, it still feels like a guilty pleasure. If that's you, you'll want to hear what Alex Hyam, founder of Exhale, has to say. Exhale is branded as ridiculously healthy coffee, claiming to have more antioxidants and polyphenols than standard coffee, and less of the bad stuff like mold toxins and pesticides. I'm Oli Giu, welcome to Hack It Health and Fitness, where I meet the people behind some of the most interesting health innovations, technology and fitness hacks on the market. Today, it's the turn of Exhale Coffee, whose coffee goes through a lot to make sure it's as healthy as possible. So let's get stuck in. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I really want to just get straight in and start by asking you, what is the difference between Exhale Coffee and the regular stuff that you just pick up at the supermarket? Big question. Um, big one to unpack. But basically, all coffee can be healthy. There's been loads of research and tens of thousands of studies on coffee and its connection to all sorts of different diseases and health conditions. And the the predominantly the studies point towards coffee being healthy. Okay. Um, and there are certain compounds and chemicals in coffee, which all these studies are, are citing as causing the health benefits. And we've gone through this whole process of first sourcing a coffee that's especially high in these compounds, these healthy compounds in coffee, um, and then roasting the coffee to maximize the, and retain as much of these compounds as possible, and then figuring out how best to brew it. So I'd say our coffee is, we use nine different independent lab tests, um, and that's to find a coffee that's got more of these uh, healthy compounds um, than any other is the goal. I mean, we've obviously not got more than every single coffee on the planet because we haven't tested every coffee, but that's the goal is just to find a coffee that's especially high in the healthiest compounds in coffee. What goes into creating the coffee with all those healthy compounds? Is it just like where it's grown? Is it the climate that it's grown in? Is it a bit of kind of luck and, and chance? Have you figured out exactly what um, is happening in the environments where that coffee is being grown that helps it be more rich in all of this stuff? This is, this is my favorite question. I've been hoping someone would ask this. There's so many different things at play. There are so many variables at play that cause, that impact this. And like I mentioned, I alluded to a minute ago that there's, there's three broad stages that coffee goes through before you drink it, okay? And there's, there's the sourcing, there's the roasting, and then there's the brewing. And at every one of those stages, there's loads of different factors to consider. So specifically around the sourcing of the coffee, Basically, when we started this process to find the healthiest possible coffee, we initially I, I spent two or three years researching the science and trying to figure out what it was in coffee that um, was causing these health benefits. So polyphenols were the one, the, the biggest group of compounds, that are the healthiest group of compounds in coffee. Then the next line of investigation was to figure out how to, what would lead to a coffee or a crop of coffees that would have the maximum amount of polyphenols in. So... Certain things kept coming up again and again. So organic um, is a big one. So buying organic coffee. So if you even if you don't buy our coffee, you should always try and buy organic coffee. So, but then it's kind of why why organic? And there's been a lot of research on, and this is like this is my favorite thing of coffee. It's just 
it's just a mountain of, of different avenues of research and things to learn. And it's just, it kind of blows my mind a little bit. Um, but one of my favorite things I learned recently is about kind of why um, organic coffee might be healthier than a non-organic coffee or might have more chlorogenic acid in. And it's because of things called abiotic and uh, biotic stresses on coffee or on any food, uh, anything in your, your diet. So an abiotic stress is something that's caused by something like the, the weather or altitude or intense sun. Um, and biotic stress is something that a stress that's caused by something that's living. So it could be pests, it could be bacteria in the soil, um, anything that's living, the fermentation process, the type of bacteria in it. And all of these different things have an impact on the coffee and the flavor of the coffee, but also how healthy the coffee is. Um, and there's some research which shows that organic farms, which in general, any organic farm, there's more pests in the farms and those pests attacking the plants. The reason why plants don't need chemical and artificial pesticides is because they produce their own compounds, which deter these pests. And coffee, supposedly, in reaction to pests attacking it, produces chlorogenic acid, which is the healthiest compound in coffee. So mm. organic coffee, the, the theory goes, which is backed up by research, should be healthier because of these stresses, more stresses from pesticides on the, uh, on the crop. And then it'll produce more chlorogenic acid. And then if you treat it right, then you'll get more in the final cup of coffee. But then there's loads of other things. So grow, coffee grown at high altitude, for example, as well. So growing at altitude is an abiotic stress. So altitude, the air is thinner. So plants and crops um, go through a bit more stress um, in the thinner air. And uh, it's another it's another stress in it, which leads to um, high levels of polyphenols and chlorogenic acid. So there's, yeah, there's tons of things right down to the processing of the coffee, whether it's a washed or natural process, there's differences there. So we basically come up with a list of all of these different, some just theories and some of them backed by research and then tested coffees from around the globe to find ones and to try and detect trends, uh, to try and find the coffee that had the highest. I find that really interesting about the pests because you just, oh, I mean, yeah. the name itself, it suggests that it's just an annoyance and, yeah. um, you, you know, you understand why pesticides are used yeah. and, uh, and how the diff how that differs with organic. But that, the fact that here the pests are actually creating some of the health benefits of coffee, um, I think is, is quite astounding. It is. And it goes beyond that. So in organic farms, you're going to have more pests and more, more trees and more of the life that kind of dies and then falls into the soil and then the soil that will decompose in the soil and release its own nutrients into the soil. So you'll have a more nutrient diverse soil. And because of that, you'll have a more uh, bacterially diverse, microbially diverse soil. So soil has a microbiome, just like we have gut health and gut bacteria. Soil has bacteria in it. And the richer the the, the decomposing materials of pests and animals and, and plants and trees, um, the richer the, the, the nutrients and the richer the bacteria will be in the soil. Um, and that's also been linked to um, higher concentrations of polyphenols and antioxidants in the coffee because um, yeah, a richer, richer source of nutrients in the soil will lead to stronger, healthier plants, which will grow stronger, healthier fruits. Uh, and coffee is, it does come from a fruit after all. So it's kind of annoying that the uh, healthier stuff and also the best tasting stuff is also always the most difficult stuff to find whether it's coffee or anything else um so sourcing this uh these coffee this kind of um coffee that runs through your lab tests and that you're happy with um, must be a difficult but kind of fun process i imagine but how long did it take you to find the right kind of coffee and when you first went into that process you were 
you know you mentioned that you were basing some of your um, thought on theory not necessarily um, proven science at this point so was it was it a tricky um, process just trying to decide where in the world you were actually going to visit yeah I mean we didn't we, we actually launched the business in lockdown in the first lockdown which we'll probably come on to but we didn't visit all of these different countries we actually visited Costa Rica about five or six years ago and we visited loads of farms and plantations there to learn all about coffee but when we launched the business we we basically we went to there was there was years of research like I put far too much thought in and planning into this business before finally plucking up the courage to quit my day job and launch the business so there was a lot of research and then I found the seven top importers of specialty grade coffee in the UK and I asked them for all of their samples that met our criteria and we got 45 samples of different coffees back from these seven importers. And we would have taken a coffee from anywhere in the globe because you can get organic, high-altitude, speciality-grade washed coffees from anywhere in the globe, really, from Ethiopia to Colombia to Mexico. So we got these 45 coffees in, and then we had this crazy day in our back garden in, uh, in the middle of the first lockdown where we lined up these 45 coffees and we tested them. We taste-tested them all initially. The main purpose of that was to look for a coffee that was highest in polyphenols. But actually, once we tasted all of these coffees, that's where the, the theory kind of and the, the initial plans were kind of slightly had to be rewritten because one of the theories, one of, one of the, it's true, is uh, robusta uh, coffee beans actually have higher levels of polyphenols in than Arabica coffee beans. But Arabica coffee beans taste so much better. So we, we had 45 coffees and two or three of them were robusta so we could test that theory out ourselves but they actually tasted pretty awful and I was like well no one's going to drink this and there's no point in having a healthy product a healthy coffee that no one wants it to drink like mud because <laughs> yeah. no one's no one's going to drink it so you, you can't actually impact the health of a nation with a product that no one's going to consume so we're like okay we kind of ruled out the robustas and one day we might come back to them because there are some good robustas out there now but but yeah we kind of constantly had to rewrite what we were looking for and uh, and and overlay not just health but taste and sustainability at every single stage that's a big uh, phrase impact the health of a nation i mean we are massive coffee drinkers um, do you think it really is that strong having healthier coffee is important for the general health of the nation definitely i mean i definitely think that having healthier i think the principles we apply to coffee if applied to other foods and drinks in our diet i think is the key to helping the health of the nation, definitely. And I'm not going to sit here and say coffee holds all the answers, but I definitely think that if more um, businesses out there take our approach to coffee uh, and apply that to other fruits and vegetables and, and foods in our diet, then definitely. Um, and the biggest thing, the biggest reason is that coffee, just like lots of other foods in our diet, used to be really healthy. It can be really healthy. Like coffee comes from a fruit. So coffee, a coffee bean is, is actually a seed that grows inside a fruit. So coffee has a lot a lot in common with fruits and vegetables and just like other fruits and vegetables they can be really healthy if grilled right if processed right if handled right and if consumed in the right way but people have become disconnected with all of these with things that they put in their body um, mm -hmm. and we're just trying to produce the most optimum quality coffee and and show showcase cloth coffee for the, the health food that it can and should be if everyone did that with all of their foods, then I think the health of the nation would be in a much better place. How many cups do you have a day? 
Um, three a day, three a day. Three so, a day, okay, three, good, yeah. good. So, so it's conservative. Yeah, yeah exactly. I just, I expected that, you know, you must be, you must have been a coffee lover beforehand, and I know you were, um, so I was wondering if you were going to say five, six kind of cups, but no, it's good to know that you're, you're conservative, um, that's about the same for me too. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about the stuff you're testing for in a moment, but, um, back to the creation of Excel then, you said that you started it, um, after a long period of thinking, and you started it just at the beginning of lockdown, which is, yeah, interesting timing. <laughs> but tell me about the health journey which led you to create Excel, because I know that you were you went through some some difficulty, actually, which um, made you think more about nutrition and health, didn't it? Mm. <clears throat> yeah, so I am now 40. Um, I spent my 20s um, basically burning the candle at both ends, working a busy, crazy city London job. Um, as an accountant and uh, and then also kind of partying quite hard and didn't care about what I put in my body food wise or drink wise and then around when I it was amazing through my 20s I had so much fun and then when I hit 30 my whole health started crumbling um, and I didn't realize it back then but I started developing an autoimmune condition which you think is rheumatoid arthritis but when I hit 30, just a whole cascade of health issues started happening. I got some severe gut issues, brain fog, um, some serious joint issues, just a whole list of um, mast cell activation syndrome came on, spontaneous angioedemas, like you name it. Like wow. I had all of the symptoms and I was in and out of literally every hospital across London, all of the hospitals looking for answers, couldn't quite find any real answers and just get fancy like Latin names describing one specific symptom um, and maybe and get put on steroids or get put in put on anti-rheumatoid arthritis drugs or statins or whatever you know so many things I was like prescribed at one point or another and uh, and just none of it nothing helped and then I went through the whole functional medicine world and nutritional therapy world where I just was uh, trying to optimize my diet more and I started just researching a lot myself around what I could do to help my health and um and it, you know I, I can't say that I got that many more answers there either I, I, well I got a lot of answers but none of them massively helped either but it was through all of this research that I started and I was researching about trying to how, learn how to control my own health that I started reading more and more about coffee and how coffee could be healthy because I was reading so many scientific papers and things and I just kept reading that coffee was a health food and but then at the same time, I kept getting told to cut coffee out and half of the diets, I, was, I, I kept flipping between different diets to see if any would, any would help, none helped. And yeah, through all of that research, swapping around, kept reading that coffee could be healthy. And then I just realized that no one was talking about coffee as a health food. The scientists knew it. Science was there. Doctors knew it even. There was a lot of doctors back then even. Um, functional medicine practitioners definitely knew it, but the general public still thought of it as a guilty treat you had to cut out. Mm. So I was like, right, I need to, I need to go on the PR campaign train for trail for coffee and change the public opinion. So that was how the idea was born. And continuing the story of um, Exhale, tell me yeah. a little bit about that surfing accident that you had in Bali. <laughs> yeah, so that's when I first fell in love with coffee, um, and that was probably about eight years ago, and. I had a baby, my first baby, and um, we went traveling, we went backpacking to uh, Southeast Asia and we spent three months of that time in, in Bali and I was surfing every day on these huge, you know, double, triple overhead, not triple, double overhead waves over razor sharp coral, like, and you, you know, you kind of like waist deep water um, 
and it's life or death situations really and I don't it, there's no exaggeration in that and I was sleeping I, I wasn't sleeping at all and I was surfing so sleep deprived and every day I'd get up and go for a surf and because I was there to surf you know that was the main reason for going and one day I just had a you know I took a massive wipe out and a wave at Uluwatu in Bali and uh, had a massive black eye bust my lip and uh, got whiplash and um, and I had to see a local healer named Mr. Tendon who uh, helped heal my neck, which was uh, quite it. fun. <laughs> um, but then, you know, because uh, in Bali there's so many Australians and Aussies love their coffee, there's loads of Aussie cafes there. And I basically just started visiting these Aussie cafes and just started drinking all of their specialty grade coffees and just fell in love with coffee initially for the taste and the all of the, you know, the, the elaborate kind of ways that they brew it. But then also realized how how potent it is to help your performance. So before I'd go surfing, I'd have a cup of coffee and then I'd have the best surf of my life, even though I'd had a terrible night's sleep. So I was like, hmm, what is this magical elixir? I need to learn more about this. So that's when so I fell in love with So you didn't start on instant. You didn't start on instant <laughs> coffee like I did. <laughs> well, maybe I did, but maybe that's why I never fell in love with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I look back now and I think it tasted sort of like um, milky vodka, instant <laughs> coffee. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on instant i i'm pretty sure i know where this is going but does it have any health benefits at all that coffee usually is associated with um i've written a, a very thorough article on instant coffee and um and look there are some studies which show that instant coffee does have antioxidants and polyphenols in it um reasonable quantities of quantities of them so you are getting some health benefits from instant coffee but the research is very mixed like the research on coffee and fresh roasted coffee isn't mixed anymore. It is like, I'd say 99% positive. Unless you're pregnant, you can pretty much guarantee that coffee is going to be good for you. Um, instant coffee, it's more mixed, the research. So for example, instant coffee, there's a lot of studies which show that it can contain up to four times the amount of mycotoxins on average. No, that's sorry, that's on average, four times the amount of mycotoxins in instant coffee. Um, and there's also studies which separate out um, for things like diabetes, the effects of coffee and its, its connection with diabetes. And they show that if you drink instant coffee, your chances of getting it are higher. But if you drink fresh roasted coffee, it's lower. So right. actually, and like, I'd suggest to anyone to have a look at the blog on our website because I literally list out all of these studies and explain them. And it's, there's some pretty significant diseases where instant they're connecting with higher risk and, and regular coffee a lower risk so it's it's just it's just too mixed for me and that's why we'd never launch an instant it's just i'm not convinced well it tastes worse and it's worse for you so oh, exactly ditch it. yeah <laughs> <Exactly>. yeah <laughs> you mentioned um all the things that you are testing for all the good stuff the antioxidants the chlorogenic acid the polyphenols vitamins why do other brands have mold and yeast in them because you're looking for mold and yeast free coffee aren't you why are all of like heavy metals mold and yeast why are they all present in like your typical supermarket brands for instance yeah i mean you, you can trace it back to many many different things so for example back at the farm at the plantation level so we only one of the reasons why we only buy from specialty grade plantations is because they look after their crops, their, their coffee plants so, so much because they, they sell their specialty grade coffee so for such a high premium. Um, it's so much more expensive than normal commodity grade coffee that they really take extra care to look after their coffee. So for example, we visited plantations where they don't even let the, the pickers wear any aftershave in case it affects the, the, the 
the coffee cherries, you know, it's it's wow. crazy the lengths they go to. So, so we bought, bought from specialist grade, but if you buy from real cheap commodity grade coffee plantations, like they won't look after their plants or crops anywhere near as well. So not, you know, some of them I'm sure will, but like you just don't know. So for example, the fermentation process, you can't guarantee what types of bacteria and yeasts uh, are involved in the fermentation process of coffee because coffee is one of the most fermented foods in the world, which people don't realize, but uh, there's bacteria and yeast ferment the, the coffee. So there could be some negative bacteria and yeast involved in that process. And then the drying of the coffee as well. So once it's coffee, a coffee bean has been fermented, it's put out on drying beds um, and a naturally processed coffee can be left on drying beds for three or four weeks. And if they're not turned enough, so you need to constantly turn the beans. And if you don't turn them enough, then you can really develop a lot of molds, which the molds produce mycotoxins in, on the, in the coffee. So if a farm isn't impeccable with the way they look after it, then a coffee can get more mycotoxins. And we have tested ones like that are hugely different. Like some of the, the green beans that we get from farms just have mycotoxins through the roof. Um, and some of them are like next to nil to begin with. And you're never going to get no mycotoxins or molds on a coffee because they're there. They're all around us. You know, they, they exist everywhere. But that small amount that might be left. So when we buy them from a farm, there might be some small amount left, but that's roasted off. So when you roast the coffee, a small amount of them is roasted off and you're fine. But if there's a lot on the coffee beans going into the roastery, um, then you're not going to roast all of it off. So... So yeah, so right from the farm level, but then also in the storage and the transportation. So you have to store the coffee in, uh, we, we buy coffee that's stored in hermetically sealed grain pro sacks. So some coffee, traditional ways of storing coffee are just in hessian sacks, which are open to the elements. Um, ours are sealed in these, uh, you know, airtight kind of sealed uh, sacks. So there's no way of contaminants getting into them. Then when the coffee is stored in the UK, it's stored in dimly lit warehouses that are temperature controlled and all these things. So it's just at every stage from farm to roastery, you just take any steps you can to minimize any risk of contamination. I've also written an article on mycotoxins on our website, um, which anyone who uh, is interested should read. But if you're buying an organic specialty grade coffee, you know, you've got a You've, there's a good chance there's going to be a pretty low amount of mycotoxins and mold in that coffee. But if you're buying a really low quality, you know, some of the supermarket ones, um, just a, a low quality, cheap coffee that you're paying like £2 a bag, then like, you know, I wouldn't touch those for many reasons. But one is that there's a very good chance that they'll have quite high levels of mycotoxins in. And you're um, putting all of this under the microscope in independent laboratories across Europe. Have you been sort of involved in that uh, laboratory process? Have you watched them as they're sort of examining and trying to figure out what is in uh, in your coffee beans? It's funny you should ask because there's um, something that I've been trying to plan since day one. So we do nine different lab tests and we send them out to different um, different laboratories. But my favorite one is our antioxidant test, which is done down in Plymouth. Um, and you probably read it on our website or in our, some of our marketing materials. It's a stat we love talking about. And it was an antioxidant test which found that one brewed cup of our coffee has the same antioxidants as 55 oranges or 12 punnets of blueberries in one cup of coffee. And that was done at a lab called Night Scientific down in Plymouth. Uh, and the owner of that lab, doc, Dr. Jan, Jan Knight, she's, she invented this ABLERAC test, which is the, the world's leading antioxidant test for foods. Um, and she's become you know, quite a good friend, I'd say, since then. We speak a lot on the phone and I'm advising her on her own business endeavours and we're, we're hoping to launch a joint 
We're in the process of launching a joint application for an Innovate UK research grant, which would cool. be very exciting. Um, but the plan is to spend some time with her down at the lab in Plymouth and do all sorts of fun testing on, and especially if we get this grant, you know, we'll, um, I'll be spending a lot of time with Dr. Jan and we'll be geeking out on all, all things coffee and science, definitely. So Absolutely love it. <laughs> um, when it comes to the caffeine content, are you looking for high, low, medium? What, what exactly goes into the caffeine side of things? We don't specifically look for high, low or medium. I mean, we do have a decaf, um, but that's a separate um, topic. But yeah, caffeine has always had mixed press. Um, people people advise that you cut down on caffeine, cut back on caffeine, but the, the research doesn't say that. <laughs> the science doesn't say that, and I am one for following the science, as you might have gathered. Um, the, the science on caffeine is pretty conclusive that uh, if you have a healthy relationship with caffeine, caffeine is very good for you. And actually, there's another article for a bit of background reading for people on our website, which is the one on cholesterol. But there's a whole section at the beginning of that where I argue the point that caffeine is good for you. And I cite 12 different studies there, but there's loads, loads of research out there. And caffeine is good for lots of different things, especially around the kind of mental the, the brain health benefits of coffee um the protection against things like alzheimer's and dementia um caffeine really helps against um decaf coffee basically for me it i've got an interesting relationship with caffeine in that i would um i would say that i'm a bit of a caffeine non-responder um so i can have my cup of coffee in the morning and honestly it's not doing a lot um for me in terms of energy i just absolutely love the taste of coffee so i keep on drinking it throughout the morning i stop around two two o'clock just in case it disrupts my sleep but to be honest i i think i get it from my dad he has a cup of coffee before he goes to bed um <laughs> which seems crazy to a lot of people who so get, does like, my dad has one of it. my dad has one right before bed he's 84 he has one right before bed and then if he wakes up in the night he'll go downstairs and have a double espresso so at 4 a.m. and then go back to bed. <laughs> no way. So That's funny. so funny. Yeah, yeah and, and my, I, I thought, right, well, people always talk about how how great it is when they get that first caffeine hit of the morning. And I always thought, oh, mm. I mean, yeah, it's fine. I mean, the taste, great. And it takes me a, a many, many, many coffees to get any jitters. And we'll talk <laughs> about jitters um, in a little bit. But do you, I saw an article um, that you put out about this sort of common idea that caffeine has a half-life of, uh, I think it's eight hours. Is that right? Mm. Um, but that, that's, that's not, that's not necessarily true for, for all people because everyone has an individual caffeine response. So to sort of have this coverall idea that caffeine has one effect on, um, on people is a bit wrong, basically. What yeah. would you say to that? You see this across the whole breadth of um, comms and coffee. People love telling you that, you should react to coffee in a certain way. And everyone has their own biases, their own health issues or conditions, their own businesses, which lead them to push their own dogmatic beliefs on other people. And, and it's just not based on that much science. And if it is based on science, it's based on cherry-picked science. So um, <clears throat> with massive amounts of confirmation bias. But yeah, coffee's half-life, people say eight hours, but coffee's half-life can be between four hours and something like 16 hours because we're all so different. And actually how you react to coffee depends on lots of different things, one of which is your genetics. And you have two genes in your body, the CYP1A2 gene and the Adora2A gene, which code for how quickly you break down the caffeine or metabolize it and then how quickly you absorb it basically and or feel effects from it. 
Um, and even those two types of genes, people think it's black and white and people say, oh, you're either a slow metabolizer or a fast metabolizer. But actually, there's loads of different variants of the CYP1A2 gene and there's loads of different variants of the Adora2A1. So you can have dozens, if not hundreds of different combinations of those two um, that affect how you react to coffee. But overlaid with that is things like your liver health. So your liver clears caffeine, so processes caffeine. So, you know, your liver health has a, a big part to play in how quickly you react to it, how much jitters you might feel. Um, but also, you know, there's things like the quality of the coffee as well, the, whether it is high in mycotoxins and things like that, and whether it's high in polyphenols. But yeah, so there's just, there's, there's so much out there and it's so different. So you've got to just listen to your own body. And in all of these things, listen to your own body, your own biology. And if you're someone who does feel, um, you know, jitters or anxious uh, feelings within, uh, you know, for the first couple of hours of after drinking a coffee, then maybe you are someone who should drink, you know, smaller quantities, weaker coffees, less frequent, make a half-calf, drink dark decaf. There's loads of ways, but just listen to your own body. Don't follow someone else's belief. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe I'm I'm either genetically gifted or um or, or I've sort of lost the genetic lottery. I don't know which because <laughs> I'd love to feel that big perk that you get from a, a hit of caffeine in the morning. But I'm also equally happy that I can enjoy the taste of coffee into the evening if I really wanted to. You're probably very habituated to caffeine and coffee. Um, and as am I. So you say that, but I tried going ca- decaf. Um, okay. I, I went decaf uh, for a month. Um, before sort of assessing exactly where I was at I bought decaf coffee um, and that was all I was drinking I wasn't drinking any other caffeinated drinks and it made no difference to how I felt in the morning how I slept the level of tiredness or at least my assessed level of tiredness and I thought well if it's doing nothing if decaf's not doing anything to me I might as well just go back on the caffeine and that was after a month um, Mm. and I didn't get any of the usual side effects that people report when they go off caffeine I didn't get headaches I didn't feel extra tired or uh, lethargic so i i do wonder whether um there's something going on within sort of the genetics something deeper yeah people overreg the effects of coffee and caffeine on you people people love talking about it and people love talking about it who love promoting coffee alternatives uh, for example um everyone talks about the jitters i don't really know i mean i don't really know anyone who has any real anxious feelings from coffee i just know a lot of people who bloody love drinking coffee and it's their favorite drink so i don't know where all these people are so i think there are some but you know it's just not as big a deal as people make out well you uh xl claims to have jitter free or at least um less jitters for Mm. people who who drink your coffee versus other coffee and that's to do i I think with the 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 amount of polyphenols in the coffee is that right sort of counteracts the effects of the caffeine it did it did you did your research definitely um so the polyphenols are anxiolytic so polyphenols are, are plant compounds that you get in lots of fruit and vegetables um and if people haven't really heard much about them they're they're the other thing in fruits and vegetables. So fruits and vegetables are vitamins and minerals, and everyone knows about them. They're kind of old news now. They're, le- they're not as trendy. Um, polyphenols are the other thing in fruits and vegetables that make them really healthy. And we're starting to realize now that they actually play a pretty big role in what makes healthy uh, fruit and vegetables healthy. And it's the same for coffee. Coffee is a very rich source of polyphenols. There's actually seven studies, which I love talking about, which... Um, the first one was in 2004, uh, a Norwegian study, which showed that coffee can contribute 66% of your total dietary intake of polyphenols. So two thirds of your 
intake of polyphenols uh, come from coffee, which is insane. People don't realize how how much is, is in coffee. But coffee has polyphenols in vastly different quantities. Um, and these polyphenols are anxiolytic, so they that means they reduce anxiousness. Um, so having a coffee that's high in polyphenols, the polyphenols can counteract some of the negative effects of the caffeine. So some people who would normally feel negative effects from caffeine, having high levels of polyphenols will counteract those um, and mean that you have a bit more of a stable level uh, high from the caffeine. So yeah, we get a lot of people, like if you read our Trustpilot reviews, there's a lot of people who say they can't drink other coffees, but they can drink ours. So it's quite good when the when the, the theory or the, the science plays out in our customer base and it plays out in, in actual real life people. So it's quite fun to watch. Yeah. And it's really nice to know for me as somebody who doesn't necessarily respond to the caffeine, as I've mentioned, that there's just so much else going on in coffee that I can benefit from. And it's still worth drinking, not just for the taste, but for loads of other of other health benefits too. I have another one because my sister keeps her coffee in the fridge. Some people keep it in the freezer. I just keep it in the cupboard. Is there a right way of keeping your coffee? There is, and there's definitely a wrong way as well. Um, and keeping it in the fridge is not recommended. So um, uh. I'd say avoid keeping it in the fridge. So the biggest reason is uh, the potential uh, contamination that can happen in the fridge. So for two reasons, your fridge is full of molds floating around in the atmosphere in your fridge whether you like to believe it or not our fridges oh, do no, have I believe it, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> there is stuff floating around in our fridge that we'd rather not admit to being there um and coffee if left in a, a bag in the fridge if it's not quite perfectly sealed the bag then it is at risk of contamination and then the other reason is if you take the bag of coffee in and out of the fridge from a cold environment to a warm environment to a cold to a warm that can cause condensation to happen on the inside of the bag of coffee. And condensation is also a breeding ground for molds, which would produce mycotoxins. So we say, don't keep it in the fridge. That is the one number one golden rule. And I imagine there's a lot of people listening to this who are going to run to their fridge now and take the coffee out. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, that's going to make it more, more moldy. Yeah, your next bag. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> and then the other one is you can freeze coffee. Coffee does freeze well. So we would say wrap it in something um, tightly. Um, put it in the freezer and it can freeze well for a few months quite easily. But take it all out in one batch um, and just let it all, it defrosts within about, it defrosts really, really quickly, um, 10 minutes, you know, or, or less even. So you can freeze it, but I wouldn't dip in and out of it in the freezer. Um, just leave it in, take it out after a few months. Um, but I'd say if you're going to drink coffee, if you have coffee beans, buying coffee beans is the best way. You know, if you... This is probably a whole different topic, but if you, as soon as you grind coffee, as soon as you roast coffee, its polyphenols start degrading. Okay, mm -hmm. and then as soon as you grind coffee, the speed that the the polyphenols degrade accelerates. So if if you buy ground coffee, the surface area of the coffee granules exposed to the air um, and oxygen in the air, which is causing the staling, is huge. It's like thousands of times greater than if you buy them in beans. So coffee ground coffee stales faster so if you want fresh coffee buy them in beans and if you do buy beans it'll quite happily stay in its pouch for you know two months and if you want to if you want to really optimize the storage of coffee the number one thing to do is to buy um, a storage container that either pushes out the air or, or creates a vacuum uh, environment to store the beans in and we have, we have something called we have something called an airscape which is kind <laughs> of uh, which is unbelievable like and we actually lab tested it so we tested coffee left in the airscape for six weeks 
versus coffee left in its pouch for six weeks. And the coffee left in an airscape lost just 2% of its polyphenols and the coffee left in its pouch lost 12%. So that's how big a difference it makes. So... And it looks cool. I've seen it. Um, <laughs> I think it was on Instagram. And like just the sound that it makes as the air kind of comes out as you're popping out of your coffee. There's something yeah, very, exactly. feels very satisfying about it, I think. Yeah. And there's quite a few different versions. You know, you don't have to get an Airscape, but, they, um, but they're the ones that we, we tested them all and they're our favorite. So, so we've gone, we've gone with Airscapes. Just a few final questions. One is um, why your coffee is better for the environment. Why is that? We as a business, I'd say we're as a business, we're best for the environment. So we're, um, well, we're B Corp, which uh, means that we, we are legally committed to try and make our business best for the environment. We're legally committed to equally prioritizing our impact on the environment, on people alongside profits. But that's something we did from, from day one. And they always wanted to launch the business as sustainable as possible. So right from only buying organic coffee, for example. You know, uh, chemical pesticides using non-organic non -organic farms do pollute the environment and um, there's a lot of research there. But as a business, we just continually change and doing lots of different things to try and make our coffee as sustainable as possible. So one example is last year, we um, in March 2023, we made a switch. So we used to sell our coffee in 225 gram pouches. So we switched and we changed all of our all of our subscribers and our whole business model to only sell double-sized bags of coffee. So 450 grams in the pouch as opposed to 225 grams. So overnight, we half the amount of packaging we use and we half the deliveries that we do, which halved our carbon footprint of our uh, outbound logistics. So literally like overnight, we just had this huge environmental win. Um, and it's decisions like, like that that we're continually making in the business to have like actual tangible environmental impact. So when you're sending 10,000 pouches of coffee out and you, you suddenly just change the business and you're only sending 5,000 out, that's a big win for the planet. We can debate all day whether, so we, we don't use, we use plastic free packaging. We use compostable packaging made from renewable plant-based sources. And you can debate all day whether that's the best form of packaging. Some people say recyclable plastic is, I disagree. But what you can't debate is that half in the amount of packaging you use isn't a huge environmental win and doing that made a lot of things a lot more difficult for the business like it's harder now to convince people to buy a 20 pound or 18 pound bag of coffee so they're used to spending you know six pound seven pound in a bag of coffee so our coffee was already expensive but now we have to convince people to buy an 18 20 pound bag of coffee so it's you know as a business it didn't help us in many ways but it was a huge environmental win um, it also helped our business in other ways, though. It helped our margins and that kind of thing. Um, but it's, yeah, just not being afraid to, to make big, bold moves if, if one is on the table. Because when it, when it comes down to the price, it is more expensive um, fundamentally, isn't it, than the stuff that you pick up at the supermarket. And that may be where people make their decision. But you also pay five to ten times more than the fair trade price for, for coffee beans as well, don't you? Yeah, so actually, so I've, I've found out exactly what we do pay um, and what the fair trade price is. So we actually pay, the fair trade price is 180 cents per pound and we pay 280 cents per pound. So it's actually 55% more um, than the fair trade price, which still is a huge amount. And, you know, it means that, yeah, the farmer's getting 55% more than they would if they went down the fair trade route. Um, but yeah, the price that we pay for the coffee um, is five to eight times more than the fair trade price. But the farmer gets paid, yeah, a significant amount more than he would 
definitely. And despite that cost being reflected in the slightly higher price of XL, I mean, you've listed all of the differences and the benefits. So um, you see that sort of trade-off as worth it, giving more money to the farmers, but also just producing a higher quality coffee, basically. Yeah, definitely. And if you're buying a bag of coffee for two or three pounds for a bag of coffee, you've just got to question like, you know, who is that adding value to? Who is who is actually benefiting from that coffee? And you're going to, you know, you're not going to benefit. You're not going to get many health benefits from that coffee. But then also the farmer's not going to really benefit. And then the whole supply chain, you've just got to wonder what corners are being cut in the supply chain. And it's just, uh, yeah, I think we're trying to produce a product that benefits everyone throughout our entire supply chain um, just by being reasonable with everyone that's involved, uh, not pushing too hard. So, And is your decaf just as healthy? Um, I know you mentioned that caffeine has its own health benefits, but you do put it, put it through a particular process that doesn't use all the chemicals, right? So do you still get as many antioxidants and polyphenols through your decaf blend? Yes. So popular question. Um, and decaf is pretty much pretty much as healthy um so we use a decaf had a bad rep for years because traditional decaf methods used some pretty nasty chemicals um which are using paint stripper and nail varnish remover and people love talking throwing these uh examples around so obviously some there's debate around how much harm they cause in the body that it's legal to use these things in coffee production some people say well because it's legal it must be okay for you but ultimately if you know the less toxins we can put in our body the better in my opinion so there are also a few pro decaffeination processes now which use only water so the swiss water method is the the number one process but um, and this goes back to your earlier question on sustainability as well, is that the Swiss water process, so if we bought a coffee in Mexico, no one there could decaffeinate the, the coffee using the Swiss water process. So we'd have to ship it to Germany to have it decaffeinated and then from Germany to England. So the carbon footprint of that coffee before it reaches the UK is pinballed all around the world. Whereas we found a decaffeination process called mountain water process, which is done in Mexico. And because of that, we buy Mexican beans, which are grown within a couple of hundred miles of the decaffeination plant. So we buy Mexican beans, we send them to the to this decaffeination plant, they're decaffeinated with a mountain water process, and then they're shipped once to the UK. So it helps our sustainability side. But also, the mountain water process is, it only uses pure glacial water from the highest mountain in Mexico, uh, no nasty chemicals to decaffeinate the coffee. Uh, and as a result, that leaves more of the polyphenols in the coffee. Um, so you are getting a coffee that tastes, you know, many experts wouldn't be able to tell that our decaf is a decaf coffee. Um, and it's also pretty much as good for you as a regular coffee. Not quite, but pretty much. Uh, actually, a question I meant to ask you before, um, just about your health, because you mentioned all of the problems that you did have. Now you've... Um, integrated healthy coffee into your life and probably a lot of other healthy things not just coffee how how are you now have you uh, are you sort of recovered from all of those symptoms that you previously had so my health has been a journey for the last 10 years it's been a long brutal journey and, and I've shed many tears over it and uh, and many different conditions many different symptoms have like flared up at any one time and caused some serious serious issues um and like I said before I've tried every diet under the sun I've cut every food out of my diet I've tried everything and you know I developed a food an eating disorder you could definitely say like I was afraid of most foods that they would cause some kind of flare-up of some type of 
ailment and they did like and most foods were giving me brain fog or giving me some severe gut issues or whatever it was and over time I've just realized that none of that really helped um like none of these things really helped and and I tried every supplement and fad new you know superfood on the market and none of them really helped you know you just spend a lot of money on these things but none of them really help and then in the last few years I've started to realize that actually there is another way of health and wellness that is a bit more following nature a bit more holistic maybe um and in the last three years I've started I eat pretty much every food again now but so long as the food isn't I avoid ultra processed foods and food that's got artificial crap in it um foods that are full of um emulsifiers and uh, and artificial sweeteners and and just anything artificial so cut it out of my diet and I also do a lot I spend a lot more time just out in the sunlight or walking barefoot or in nature or doing something fulfilling like um launching a business that you deeply deeply love and enjoy in every way um so I think all of those things have a huge impact on your health like way bigger an impact and like in the morning I have a really good morning routine now and it just involves a bit of breath work some stretches strength training exercise you know all the usual things that everyone tells you all the things that are free uh, as well you know it doesn't cost money to live like this um but then in the last few years since adopting this lifestyle more my symptoms are pretty much i'd say 95 percent improved to what they were Amazing. almost there like my i've also as part of that i've moved i was living in london and it, this isn't an easy one for a lot of people but i decided to after 15 years in london i wanted to move out so i've moved to live on the coast in portugal so part of that was i live by the beach in portugal so i have a very outdoors life um now which has helped as well. And all of these things, you know, it's just, they're the things that actually move the needle in terms of your health, not like taking a new medicinal mushroom from Siberia. If I'm honest. Yeah, yeah, I've got to say just moving out of London for me as well did wonders for my health, just getting yeah. out of that, the toxic air. And um, yeah, I've, I've benefited a lot from going the sort of semi-rural. Mm. Um, a final question then, is there one big coffee myth that you would just love to bust, that you'd just love to put an end to right now? Yeah, it's that everybody should drink black coffee. That the only way of drinking coffee is black coffee. You shouldn't add milk or even sugar to coffee. Um, there's a bit of a dogmatic belief um, that people, coffee snobs, um, promote that you, you, drinking black coffee is the only way to drink it. Um, and there are a, a couple of research papers that were published which shows that adding milk, um, the, the the proteins in the milk, I think it might be, uh, uh, hinder your body's ability to absorb the polyphenols so a, a lot of influencers um a year or two ago jumped on that um and say that you shouldn't add coffee to milk because it, it negates the health benefits but actually i've done a lot of research into it and i've kind of written another article on this because i love busting these coffee myths um and actually there's way more research which shows that adding coffee to uh, milk to coffee enhances its uh, health benefits and it and it's just like adding fats to so when you eat a, a tomato, if you have olive oil on the tomato, I think the fats in the olive oil bond to the lycopene in the tomato and help your body absorb them. So it's a similar thing with adding milk. Potentially, if you add whole milk to coffee, the fats in the milk in the coffee um, help your body absorb polyphenols. And there's actually more studies which support that argument. And the same thing goes for adding sugar or sweeteners to coffee. So I'd, you know, you obviously shouldn't be adding 10 teaspoons of sugar to your coffee or drinking 
Starbucks, carry caramel macchiatos, whatever the hell they are. Um, you shouldn't be drinking all of that. But you know, if you're someone who likes to, like my wife, Kirsty, a co-founder, she ha- adds milk to her coffee and she adds half a teaspoon of uh, an organic raw sugar. You know, and again, there's no research that shows at all that adding a small amount of sugar to your coffee is a bad thing. So yeah, that's a huge myth. Um, if you, you and there's a huge psychological mental health benefit to drinking coffee like people love it so if you enjoy drinking your coffee with milk in with half a teaspoon of sugar you bloody well do that and don't let anybody stop you is my argument (laughs) great i will keep drinking my white coffees then thank you so much alex it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, i think i might have to go make a cuppa now (laughs) no thank you for having me on the podcast it's been it's been really yeah it's been really fun Alex Hyam, founder of Exhale Coffee there. You can read all the articles he mentioned at exhalecoffee.com. In my next episode, I'm speaking to the guy who invented weighted blankets, Keith Stavalich, and you'll never guess how he came up with the idea. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. Remember, you don't need all the latest gadgets and upgrades to be healthy. It's the fundamentals that matter most. Sleep, nutrition, and exercise. I just find all the extra stuff fun too. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.